hot air balloons are shit. Let's be real right now. And welcome to House of Bards. We are a podcast about role-playing and that sort of thing, like Dungeons and Dragons. I am Bethany, and this is Alex. Hello. Yeah, that's, that is indeed what we are about. I think we established last time that that was our deal. Mm-hmm. So we're uh, probably going to carry on doing that rather than do something else that would not be related to this podcast. Yeah. I mean, what would we call it then? It couldn't be House of Bards anymore, could it? I mean, it took us long enough to come up with the name anywhere. I do sometimes wonder about the relevance of, of even this name. I know, right? It is very difficult to come up with, with that kind of, of name. Yeah. Um, so, this episode, uh, we decided to go with the theme of technology. Yeah. We're going to talk about technology. Uh, this is, I think, maybe going to be quite a DM-heavy episode. It probably will be a very DM-heavy episode. Because this idea mainly fits into world-building. I think maybe we could talk about, like, players' use of technology and stuff yeah, like that. Like, but, yeah, But uh, maybe mainly the notes we've got here are about, like, um, world-building and how technology fits into that. So, um, I think before we, like, start to talk about this subject in any great depth, we have to ask the question... What are we talking about when we talk about technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, what are we talking about when we when we talk about technology, Alex? Uh, I, I think that word can have a lot of like different meanings. I should maybe look up the uh, the dictionary definition. Yeah. I mean, is it bad that when you said technology, I immediately thought of toilets? Like I was like, yeah, that's an important step that mankind made. Is the loo? I mean, it is. You're, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I mean, I mean, I suppose the concept of a, like a con- the concept of a toilet's been around for a very long time. Man has always needed to dig a hole. Yeah. But I mean, you know, in terms of like a plumbing is important. Plumbing's very important. Yeah. Um, I've also heard a story that uh, posits that one of the most important technological innovations. Well, not innovations, but technological advances of the 20th century was dentistry. I mean, yeah. Also very important. I can see that, yeah. But technology. Um, yeah. Dictionary.com defines technology as the branch of knowledge that deals with the creation and use of technical means and their interrelation with life, society, and the environment, drawing upon such subjects as industrial arts, engineering, applied science, and pure science, which I suppose is technically correct, but just doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. But that word can mean a lot of different things. Like, um, uh, I don't really hear this as much anymore. Um, it's still a thing, but like something I would definitely hear a lot from people who were like our parents' age is when they would say technology. It was a shorthand for uh, what you might call modern technology. So um, yeah, things that were mostly electronic, and yeah, like, in a couple of cases, complex things that were just electric. Yeah, like microwaves, ovens, phones televisions and console gaming devices computers as well um also that other handheld devices that weren't necessarily phones yeah i think phones is kind of an important thing i think sometimes for gming because like very often the group might get split up from each other in a game and very often you can't communicate with each other because it will be a medieval setting you can't phone each other but then other times you can because it's a modern setting and that was DMs. one of the things that I really liked about uh, World of Darkness, which we have yeah. not mentioned before on the podcast, and that is a crime, because if you want like know, yeah. proper modern setting, uh, I think World of Darkness is uh-huh. probably going to be the closest you can get, but um, yeah. a few times I have played, uh, I have enjoyed having access to just the level of technology that I, as a human being in the 21st century, I'm familiarised with. But then, you know, it's like, oh, we're in a problem, I'll just phone up this person, and... It's sorted. And in fairness, there are like spells that can do that in like D and D and a couple of other settings. That's true, yeah. But you need to work for those. You do, and they tend to be quite high level. They do, yeah. 
or they, they tend to be quite high level the versions of them that will allow you to have unambiguous communication that isn't likely to go wrong in a hilarious sitcom like way yeah so mobile phones are like the equivalent like maybe like a level what seven spell in D&D amazing just available to anybody with a significant amount of money I know well I mean like not not even like I I, on, I don't know about you but I only pay for like ten pound a month on my telephone contract yeah yeah there are there are systems in place that will allow people to do that hmm. but see now I'm, I'm coming back onto where we were going with this yeah 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 um when I see people talk about technology in the anthropological sense, what they generally mean is like the entire encompassing category that includes those things, but also includes like basic tools. Mm, like hammers. Yeah. Spears. Even as far toilets. back as like using like sticks to yeah. acquire food in the manner that you do hear about like chimpanzees doing stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. That and stuff as well. once it becomes widespread is considered technology. Yeah. So I think it helps to use that kind of wider definition if we're going to talk about technology in RPGs because that's much more universally applicable. Absolutely, yeah. And it allows us allows us to talk about the level of technology in a game world. Now, uh, I should mention that there are a couple of systems I know that do actually address this specifically. Uh, GURPS is one. Um, I've read very little GURPS, but what little I have read almost immediately concerned itself with what is the technology level of your setting. And it actually had yeah. a system for figuring that out. Mm. And like the kind of things that should be available and not available. And uh, the, the kind of, of places that that civilization could go, stuff like that. Um... But what I want to address, I think, is DMs and writers who say, I do, or I don't, want this particular technology to be available in this particular setting, but I'm worried that that's... See, the word that they use here is unrealistic. And that's... Like, you know what they mean, but it, but here's a, a hint to, to the people out there. That's not the word you're looking for, because... It's a fantasy universe. Like, it has roots in actual history, but it's not a thing that actually happened. Yeah. And it like, isn't based in places that actually exist or historical periods that were part of time. What The word you're searching for... Well, there are two. Um, in a pinch, you can use milieu, which I probably butchered completely in the pronunciation. But more generally, I would say that the word you're searching for is verisimilitude, which <laughs> means the... The sort of not not quite realism, but more the the ability to extend your audience's suspension of disbelief. The kind of thing where they would look at something and go, "Yeah, I, I th that's not jarring at all. I I can totally get down with the idea of that thing existing in this context." That's not just what verisimilitude means, but it's what it means in this particular yeah. This, yeah. what we're talking about, and. I think, well, what I really wanted to talk about, as explained in my notes here, is in many cases, when you say that, uh, you are wrong about everything, and you should probably stop worrying quite so much. Uh, which is a bit aggressive, but what's the crux of our argument here, Beth? What is the crux of our argument here? <laughs> was, it, was it a lot of the stuff that you think was invented is has actually been invented a lot earlier and you shouldn't worry about it so much that is actually yeah that's that's pretty close to what, what we're saying is, is yeah. you if you only get your impression of what the progression of technology is like from a very basic and at times just plain incorrect history of like western europe you're not really exposing yourself to things that actually happened in the order that they happened. Mm. Like, gunpowder is a really good example. Yes, yes, gunpowder is an excellent example. Yeah. Um, I don't actually know the specific dates. No, but I mean, it was, it was in China a yeah. long time before it was in Europe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there are also, something that, that looking at that kind of thing helps you understand is that basically there are a whole load of tools that you can use in uh, world building and in DMing to restrict the the movement and the availability of particular technologies, either completely or geographically. 
because yeah. it's happened a lot in history. This is yeah. something that a, even a very basic bit of research will absolutely show you that that was the case. And in fact, even if you think it for a bit, I'm quite sure this is something that you kind of already knew. You just needed to be reminded of it. Yeah. Like it's not that difficult a concept to believe that there were reasons why different civilizations that obviously did have contact with with each other didn't develop the same technologies at the same rate. Yeah, I mean, for some examples, you have many countries had isolationist periods, like America, Japan, probably a lot more I'm thinking of. North Korea is one that's in one at the minute, you know. Oh, yeah. That they don't let a lot of outside influence in their countries, and that's... It's questionable whether their current isolationist period has been sufficiently large or oh, sufficiently yeah, yeah. isolationist to, like alter the flow of their development of technology as much as yeah. their like politics and their like social norms but that is a point that that's something that's happening right now yeah i mean you know you see you see it all the time you know you go into countries and it's like why doesn't this place of the world have the same level of technology that we have and it's because well and sometimes it's not even like a level of technology sometimes yeah. you're forced to accept that ranking different uh, availabilities of different technologies as just this sole linear progressive thing is not really incredibly helpful. No, yeah, absolutely. And, th and there yeah. are a number of reasons for that in real life that you can use uh, as reasons as to what the availability of things are going to be in your game world. Um, mm. So, surprise, this is another one of those podcasts that started out about a seemingly very fun and not incredibly mentally taxing thing, but actually just wants to spurt basic facts at you. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to hell. So, something I want to talk about as a sort of lead into this, uh, which came up while I was trying to look for justification on this very subject regarding the amount of clockwork and related type things that exist in Dawn Somber as a setting. Hmm. Because there is, uh, well, you know about um, Zechiundite, the yeah. deity of artifice, who is yeah. literally a genderless humanoid being constructed entirely of cogs and gears and shit. Um, so I was looking at this as to, like, I had been vaguely told in school that clockwork and related automata, that kind of thing, started to appear in about the 14th century. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About that time. Yeah. And and that this, I think it was, it was I'm pretty sure that it, I don't know if this is the cuckoo clock specifically, it might be it, that, that we're taught that it was invented in Switzerland and it wasn't, it was invented in Germany. But whatever. The point is, as, uh, all of that's bollocks. <laughs> so I'm going to talk to you about one of my favourite things that I found out in this, this research, and it is called if I can pronounce this place name correctly. And if there are any Greek people listening, I'm sorry, I'm trying my best. The Antikythera mechanism. In about 1900, there was a shipwreck about 45 metres down um, off the coast of... I, I believe it's off the coast of the island of Antikythera. I really should have kept the page. I was uh, taking this information off open. Um, it was a merchant ship, I think, in Greece. And they excavated a whole load of things from it, and they found, you know, usual, you know there's uh, statues and other things that the ship was carrying, but they also found a box, a wooden box containing metal pieces of a bronze alloy mechanism. And, like, if you go and, you go and look at the pictures of this thing right now, you will see very clearly that there is a big round gear on the front of the largest piece they have. And, in fact, once they'd excavated enough of it, uh, they found that the me whole mechanism itself is made of around 30 interlocking gears. And what they think this thing was for is it was a kind of like um, combination astrolabe and orrery. It was a calendar machine for predicting the uh, astronomical positions and their alignment to certain events. In particular, I think the Olympic Games. And this thing is, the most exciting thing, I think, is they call this thing the earliest analog computer. Because I think currently they think it was, like, built in around 150 BCE. What? So, what but, are you saying, Alex? But, but, there is an inherent lie in giving it that label. Or so they say because the quality of the craftsmanship and the complexity of the machine make it 
pretty evident that this is not the first one they made. There must, there can be surmised, there can be inferred the existence of earlier analog computers. Whoa, so what you're saying, Alex, is that the ancient Greeks invented steampunk, not the Victorians. Mm, I think possibly the ancient Egyptians invented steampunk. The ancient Greeks would invent clockpunk, which is a subtly different genre. That's right. (laughs) Evidently, but yes. Um, And it it is actually really obvious. You can go and look at the image for yourself, and I think you'll probably agree, you know, that's definitely not the first one they made. Yeah. Because even now, with the whole thing, like, completely rusted over and, like torn apart and at least one of the cogs is missing out here you can tell like that's a a tooled gear the person who made that knew exactly what a gear was and what it was for and they made like 30 of them so that was a very long story i suppose about a uh, a rather interesting bit of of history uh, i thought um that's really cool alex i never knew that it doesn't mean of course that this technology existed in europe um like all the way past that point like no the the technology was lost in antiquity and then only resurfaced again in Europe in the 14th century, but that does mean that like there was a use for that and they knew how to do it. I mean, yeah, I think we all know that like the Dark Ages were a bad time for Europe and Turkey just basically took everything they could from ancient Greek, desperately tried to keep it alive so the Catholics wouldn't burn it all and were like, no, stay away from this. I think that's another thing. It's like you have to pay attention to what the Dark Ages actually meant. Yeah. Because I think if you don't, then not only is it insulting to like the other non-European cultures that were experiencing technological advance during the time, it's Absolutely. insulting to Europe itself because you're like, no, this was actually an important part of our history and we should be paying attention to what this actually meant in historical context rather than just this was a time when we didn't know a lot. Yeah. Because we we did know a lot, but we lost a lot of it. Mm. I mean, imagine how much knowledge was lost in the burning down of the Library of Alex- Alexandria. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah, definitely. How much was in those books? And we just lost it all because maybe they were the only copies there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, no, we don't need to really imagine. Like, it's not well documented, but it is documented that that was, like, a massive, like, extinction of knowledge. Yeah. It was utterly catastrophic at the time. Mm. So, of course, that, that's that's really only relevant in a historical context, that, that you know this technology existed and was then lost. It doesn't really help you if you don't want a particular technology to exist in a particular setting. But that's true. I do have a list of points as to what might. Come with me on this journey. Do, 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 do. Okay. <laughs> so, if you... Depending on, on what exactly you want to happen in regard to a particular technology in your world, there are a number of things that it would help you to consider, I think. The most obvious one, first one, is could possibly at all anybody in this setting have invented this thing already? And as I've just shown you, that is not the obvious question that you're thinking that it is. Like, it helps to do a little bit of, of research. Um, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned before, fantasy universes are fantasy universes. So you don't actually have to follow the, like, historic um, standard. Yeah. But if you see that something was invented at a particular time in history that you're trying to emulate, that does at least show you that it was possible to invent it at that point, which might be relevant. So if the answer is yes, then consider the, these things. Every time you try and translate that technology to a different society, to a different community within your world, ask yourself whether they would accept it. Because the answer is not always yes, even if potentially it would give them an advantage. Interesting fact, the medieval English community did not accept crossbows because they felt that it wasn't fair in war. So we kept using longbows and shortbows instead of using a crossbow. We felt they were too easy. Oh, I, I wasn't entirely sure whether you were going to go with a um, crossbows or a war crime angle, or a, in my day, we had to pull back the bow ourselves, kind of. <laughs> yeah, no, it was that, yeah. It was literally like, that's too easy! Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, there's one of your reasons. Yeah. So, um, other reasons, think about, first of all, does the society in question have a use for this technology? 
most technology is invented to address a need. The need generally has to be something that cannot be accomplished by the human body in a sufficiently efficient manner on its own. Which is a lot of things. It's quite quite a lot of things. We are squishy people. Part of our success as a species is the fact that we are able to use technology to augment our natural abilities. Yeah, so so we can be not squishy. We can make armor for ourselves by mining ore. Yeah, we can increase our attacking power to avoid causing severe damage to our extremities for very little real uh, attacking output. Yeah. Stuff like that. But We're good at this. Not every society has the same needs. Uh, yeah. For example, a society that doesn't domesticate animals, or where that's just not practical, isn't going to have a huge amount of use for technology that is specifically for use in the domestication of animals. Yeah. Um, a society that has... Uh, very little land would not really... Uh, imagine you have a, a fishing-based island nation. They're not going to have a huge amount of use for agricultural technology. Oh, yeah. Because um, they won't have the sufficient space to use it. A landlocked civilization aren't going to need things like fishing technology and even boats. Well, you think possibly, possibly they would have a use for it, but they're well, not yeah. going to have a use for large ships. Yeah. And stuff like that. This is just not something that they'd really be interested in. Mm-hmm. It's not really something that they have a use for. And, and I think that's a major... Also, it doesn't have to be true, right? Yeah. You can also say that, you know, technically, this civilization would benefit from this technology, but they can't see it. Yeah. And something to bear in mind, I think, is that we have this skewed sense of how easy it is to transmit information around the world. Because of like the, uh, the 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 small world caused by um, air travel and the internet and stuff like that, in the modern sense. Sometimes we go too far the other way when we talk about history and we pretend that like yeah. nobody like white people invented travel in yeah. know, the 1600s. So, no, pe- people did talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. But it's still difficult to transfer ideas. Cause something I was I was uh, talking about when I was, was planning this episode is say you've invented something and you want to sell your invention or transfer use of your invention to another another country far away. Basically, if your invention is larger than, like, an oven, you're probably going to have a difficult time transporting a working prototype to another country. Yeah. Especially if it's a fixed object that needs to be in a specific place to work. Mm. So you're probably going to be bringing plans blueprints maybe not even that maybe just a description of the item and how it works to people in this other country and you're going to have to try and convince them that what you have is a good idea which is maybe not going to be easy you know maybe you're not good at explaining things like that Hmm. maybe you don't really know how to sell your product well yeah if you've ever watched any of dragon's den you'll know just how bad some people are at selling good ideas. Mm-hmm. I believe in the United States there is an equivalent show called Shark Tank, which oh is apparently God. basically the same premise as Dragon's Den. Well, yeah, but American, so it's going to be like way more hilarious. But yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, hilarious isn't overly dramatic. If anybody's ever watched... If it's anything like Kitchen Nightmares USA, then that's what I'm basing it off. <laughs> and of course, that's even... Assuming that you can get there, that, yeah. that you can get to this country. Like, one of the other questions I have is, what access does the society in question have to knowledge of the technology's construction and of its functioning? Because, again, even if you get there and you tell them about this technology, how do they know how it works? Okay, you're willing to tell them. Well, maybe they don't understand what you're talking about. Maybe their level of the particular sciences involved isn't advanced enough yet to understand the concepts that you're talking about. If that's the case, then, you know, maybe in a kind of cargo cult way they can build the machine, but they're never going to be able to expand upon it, really, except by trial and error, which is going to take a lot longer than you in you being the person who invented it in the country that invented it, just being able to expand on the design. Obviously, that's going to slow them down. And, oh, this, this is a really big one. 
Does the society in question have access to the necessary materials to construct this? And yeah, is it economically viable for them to do so? Something that gets thrown around a huge amount, and there is a lot of talk about whether whether this is true and to what extent, is that uh, swordsmithing in Japan developed the way it did to such a high degree because the materials they were using were incredibly bad. <laughs> like, constructing, <laughs> constructing pig iron out of iron sand is just a really, really material so they had to get really 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 good at folding steel and swordsmithing and design swords a certain way just because with the quality of the metal that they had that was was really the only viable way to do even even do it so you can see that 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 is a difficulty that will definitely pin like a society in developing a technology do they actually have the materials to be able to do it now, keep in mind that obviously in a fantasy world, if you come across the problem of, you know, maybe you want this technology, but the society may not have had access to this, you can always make up a material to make your fantasy swords out of, for example, like Absolutely Valerian so. steel. Although I would caution about that, that you don't make that material a ubiquitous MacGuffin that just solves yeah. a whole load of problems. Um, yeah, don't. Something that I noticed was that uh, cortosis was supposed to be incredibly rare in the Star Wars universe, and yet, being as it's a material that can stand up to an otherwise almost irresistible power, it seems to turn up a huge amount. Oh no, yeah. So, for example, like in the Games of Thrones universe, Valerian steel's actually really rare, only certain families have these swords. Also ask, will the technology work in the environment that the society lives in? This is one that I find it difficult to like think of a huge number of examples for beyond the fact that like boats don't work incredibly well if you don't have any water. But that's not really the kind of thing that I mean. I mean, um, yeah. is this a viable thing to like? Is there an environmental variable that would prevent this this device, this technology, from working the way that it works in its country of origin in this specific place? I mean, if you live in like a valley that's like completely uh, wind protected then wind power and windmills are probably not going to factor yeah. hugely into the technology base that you have mm-hmm. um, stuff like that uh, yeah I mean places that you know again with the ocean like uh, ocean energy technology like the uh, tidal power isn't going to work if again you're You've got no water near you, especially if you're landlocked. Or even if you do have water, if that yeah. water is prone to being very still, not incredibly yeah. tidal. Yeah. That's, no good. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. It's not. It's not going to. You know, it's just not. Not viable. And um, well, an, ex- an example from Dawn Somber in Relend, which is the very technological nation, mm. uh, full of gnomes and and uh, tieflings. They yeah. have giant sort of modular cities that move around on wheels. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> which would not work in Meslin, which is constructed mostly of boggy marsh. Yeah. And the, like those would get stuck. So like even though the the whole of the mint marsh and Meslin itself is large enough that they would probably have the space to be able to do that. And also resources are rare enough that they might also have like an actual reason to do that. It just wouldn't work. Yeah. They couldn't do it. And that's a thing that you can consider. Um, early guns jammed a huge amount, so the more humid the environment gets, the less likely they are to work. Yeah. If like, the powder keep, gets keep, damp. Yeah. Keep in mind, people, pirates had like seven flintlock pistols on them at a time in case of a duel, because you can't reload a flintlock pistol that easily. It's certainly not in combat, unless you're going to tag out. Yeah. yeah. You go boom, 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 and then you get your sword out because everyone's used and, all their and guns. And you get one, maybe two shots if you have a particularly fancy pistol. Yeah. I mean, look, the Assassin's Creed games are bullshit when it comes to early guns. They do not go off that quick, but they do hurt that much. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing about guns is that they were pretty revolutionary because they leveled an otherwise incredibly hierarchical playing field. Yeah. But, again, like... The Chinese had gunpowder long before anybody else. Yeah. You can say, and we're kind of like basing the entire point of the podcast around this, but you can say this technology does exist in this world. It just doesn't exist in any of the places we're focusing on. Yeah. 
which is fine. Here are the reasons why. It also might be um, if a particular nation has invented a technology and doesn't like another particular nation. Absolutely. They're not really yeah. going to share it, so it's going to have to yeah. be discovered through espionage, uh, which might be incorrect. Yeah. I mean, it, it took, you know, a while for the English to be like, hey, Japan, do you fancy uh, trains and railroads? And then they were like, hell yeah, we want trains and rail railroads. Man, this is going to make life so much easy. And the Japanese have really taken trains to the hearts, I think. They're even better than, like, the majority of trains in the world now. Oh, yeah. They're so quick. I think of, like, really, really really fast trains, I think, about Japan. Yeah. And, like, meanwhile, England's trains are fucking shit. Absolute In fairness, I I think there are, like, other factors in England's trains being fucking shit than our trains being shit, like... Yeah, the trains themselves, really good. Other things, well... mm. Alright, so... That's my advice for limiting the spread of a particular technology that you're forced to accept would probably have been invented somewhere in your world. It doesn't have to exist in other places. Relend is one of the only currently known countries in the whole of Donsumba that has gunpowder. Other countries know what it is, but they don't really have the resources to produce it currently. Except in Varash in very, very small amounts. Yeah. That's the thing. Just make those resources unavailable to that particular society. You can also use things like religion. If you have a particularly church-controlled society, then just have the church say that this technology is, is wrong or is sinful. Yeah, just be like, nope, we, we can't have ovens. It's against our God. Not incredibly effective in our society today, but you know that in the past that was the case. Yeah. That was uh, a way of, of shutting something down real quick. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, if, you know... 100 years ago, if they were like mobile phones against God, you've got to write your letter to communicate with others. That's what the Bible says. I'm sure. It, I mean, there probably is something in the Bible against mobile phones. It seems to cover everything. I can just say the Pope said it. What are you going to do? I mean, I think you'd have to be like pretty, uh, pretty creative with your interpretation. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so sure that you can just like straight open it and find like a passage in Romans that says, oh, and by the way. <laughs> Put down your fucking mobile phone and talk to people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like in, in, in Matthew, it's just like, man, kids these days don't talk to each other anymore. We should get rid of their mobile phones. This is the I'm worst like, Bible. <laughs> worst Bible. <laughs> and there are some pretty bad Bibles. There are some, there's some real, yeah. That's, uh, that, that's, that's really all I have to say about controlling a spread of technology. It is also, if you have to brute force it, it is entirely viable to say, this technology doesn't exist in this setting because I don't want it there. Yeah, you are the be end and end all of your world. If you're like, nope, that, that's not a thing. I mean, thing. I would encourage you to like actually do some research just so that you know what you're doing when you say that. Yeah. Just so that you're informed about the decision that you're making. But it's still, that's entirely viable. You can, yeah. you can do that. There is, there's one snag, and I think if we're going to... This has been a very DM-focused episode so far, so I think something we can do to bring it back to players is that there will be one snag, because there's always, you know, one one little problem. The players. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, like, one player specifically, because in my experience, there is generally only one player like this in each game. Absolutely, and yeah. No. This player is not guaranteed to turn up in your game. They, they seem to be a, a rare bunch. And I think every player has thought about being this kind of player at some point, <laughs> but yeah. they're not incredibly common. But the thing is, as soon as you deny a technology that is technically possible with the surrounding cloud of technological advance available in your setting a player is going to want to invent it <laughs> yeah no joke this is legit a thing that players well, will try to do there's that story isn't there uh, i can't remember which i think i saw it on 4chan i don't know it might be on tumblr about the player who i think it this must have been a pathfinder game who made a wizard and then he spent two sessions making the tony stark iron man suit have you read this one? No, no, I haven't read this one, and I probably should do. It's a good one. Basically, with the available technology, managed to kind of... They found, like, a lot of iron on the first session, and then the was like, right, okay. And so he spent the next two sessions kind of 
hiring a lot of people to like make like an iron forge and he made like loads of potions so that he could have like regen health and mana regen and he built the iron man suit and then obviously the dm looks at the character sheet and the name of the character is antonio starkova and it's like god damn it there's always that player and that that if that man... See, that's like the the logical extreme of the player I'm describing. Extreme, yeah, but it, it you know it will happen if if you can give someone the capability to make the Iron Man suit, they will make the Iron Man suit. I would make the Iron Man suit. I would make. The I, Iron I have Man played. What is the point? About... I have played no fewer than three characters who, given the opportunity, would make the Iron Man suit. Right, but in terms of the player who will attempt to invent something, there are a number of ways you can go with this. The most obvious one is to just say straight up, you don't know how to make that. Yeah. Even if the player can provide you reasonable reason as to why they would know about the concept or be able to conceive of it, you can just say, you don't know how to make that. Mm. Now, there is a subset of this kind of player that you will run into problems with when you say that. (laughs) Yeah. And... In my experience, I have only ever played with one person who is this subset of of that player. The problem you will run into is that very occasionally, and this will happen a lot if you're playing, if you are like a university student and you play with other university students, because university students tend to know not as much about stuff as people who work in universities, but they know a lot of stuff very suddenly and they're excited to tell you about it. You will run into the person who actually knows how the technology in question works. <laughs> yeah. And is able to explain it to you. Yeah. You're going to meet someone who knows way more than you do, and yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I've played with um, physicists who oh, will physicists, talk man. to me about, like, how a particular aspect of my game won't work. And probably the most famous one was um, Freefall is Not a Harmless State. As in, you, I think it was like you can free fall for about 10 minutes before you die because, like, the actual um, collision with the air is, is going to, like, do something weird to your blood pressure and just kill you. That one was a that, that one was weird, but it, it came up at, yeah. at some point. Stuff like that. A former GM, DM of mine, is my cousin. He's a physicist. We should definitely uh, get him on here one time so he can be physicisty and tell us how physics his games are, because... Man. I should ask him about the wine meme. The what? I'll tell this here, because it's not really interesting enough to be part of the, like, D&D stories podcast we will probably eventually do. Okay. There was this meme for quite a long time in my particular playgroup, based on a mistake that a DM made um, really early on. We were playing Keep on the Borderlands, uh, mm-hmm. which is a scenario that some people might know. Essentially, the meme is that you can set people on fire using wine. Now, in right. real life, wine is not an incredibly flammable form of alcohol. It's not, no. But this DM did not know that the first time and allowed us to just, like, pour out a slick of wine and set it on fire. And right. from that point, we were like, well, you allowed it once. So, you, you like, any other time that we found wine in the same campaign, we were like, well, wine is flammable. Oh, every true. time he would say, no, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I made like, a mistake. No, it is in this setting. So that's, a, that's, is... that's, that's an addendum, by the way, to last week's uh, assertion that you can just say, hey, I made a mistake. Um, yeah. You can say that. Sometimes your players will not pay any attention to you. Yeah. Like, um, I think I remember I watched um, D&D or, you know, Shadowrun campaigns sometimes on YouTube. And I was watching um, the It Me JP one of Shadowrun. It's called Mirror Shades. It's a great Shadowrun playthrough with a great DM. Anyway, um, one of the characters has a deadly allergy to iron, and the DM reason that actually then your blood isn't red, it's blue, surely, because how can it have iron in it? Your blood would kill you. And most people have accepted this. Now, on the subreddit, someone has explained actually why this character can have iron in their blood, but it's been established that this character has blue blood, so... It's been established. It's out there. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Can be very difficult to like take back something that you establish for yeah. a weird reason. I think maybe I want to save the discussion for magic versus technology for another podcast. Yeah. Because that be, even though yeah. we do have currently have time, I think that can that can definitely spill over into like 
a big long discussion because there's yeah. a lot to talk about in that particular respect there's like literary themes and practical themes and just yeah. how fucking boring a lot of the uh, the tropes related to that, that thing are so yeah so in in this case it's it's good it's a good idea to have a reasonable historical knowledge when you want yeah. to talk about how having certain technologies in your setting will affect the verisimilitude because you don't you don't have to assume that just because one nation develops a technology all nations now have that technology yeah that's honestly not even how it happens in the real world now yeah like it happens a lot that way but there are still like closely guarded technologies that yeah one nation has that other nation won't. We tend to keep I mean, a kind of global watch on which countries develop the capacity to build nuclear weapons. I mean, as we've discussed, Japan has way, way superior trains than, say, somewhere like England or Germany has. That's just one tiny example. Japan has made way more way in the field of robotics than we have. And that's completely fair. You know, some would argue German cars were better than any other cars in the world. Some would argue that. Some would uh, argue that. And there's also like th- things like infrastructure. I think it's is it Thailand that has the uh, the the big Wi-Fi like uh, countrywide infrastructure now. I think so. Yeah. yeah it might See? be Thailand. I might be wrong. Uh, it's uh, one of the countries around there. Um, and that's presumably going to allow them to set up a whole load of things that countries with patchier Wi-Fi coverage, such as you know, the UK, the US, Ireland, probably quite a bit of, of Europe, would have trouble doing. Yeah. So there's environmental factors which are created by the society itself. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we could go, I mean, go on forever about like the differences between the flush toilet, the normal toilet, and then the hole-in-the-ground toilet. Yeah. Like, it all comes back down to toilets. There's a lot that comes down to money as well. Money, Is it economically yeah. viable for this technology to use? I asked this before. But it is important. There are a huge number of, like, um, armies where most of the foot soldiers were given pole arms because yeah. pole arms were drastically cheaper to produce than swords. Even yeah. though in many of the situations that they were going into, a long sword would be either just as good or actually functionally better. But God, you, what? But you, in World you, War, you yeah, in World War Two there was this country, I think it may have been Poland, if I've gotten this wrong, Polish listeners. Um, I'm really, really stretching sorry. for Polish listeners right now. I think <laughs> you're probably I safe. I'm, if, you know, if, you know, um, but I think um, in World War Two they fought against Germany with like largely cavalry and like again pole arms and stuff like that because they didn't have the money for guns and tanks, for example. I think I think it was oh, Poland. That's I might another be horribly thing. wrong. If your country doesn't have horses, then <laughs> oh, yeah. pretty much all of the uh, war technology associated with cavalry is completely useless to you. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I believe that there are countries in f- where that was the case. Yeah. Uh, oh, a lot of South America, obviously. But saying that, again, horses aren't always mounts in certain countries. That's true. Like That's very true. Reindeer uh, a mountain, were a mountain in Finland for like years, I think, weren't they? I don't know. Other Scandinavia countries. I know you can ride reindeers, and I would love to... Do- I mean, India and elephants, right? Thailand and yeah. elephants. Yeah, uh, that was apparently a thing. But then, of course... There's stuff like extinction of animals, like um, parts of the world used to have elephants and lions, and that, then they didn't because they all died out because of army things yeah. and army reasons. Didn't the Romans wipe out all the lions in North Africa? I think they may have. Just making them like fight in the Colosseum or whatever. I think they may have. I think this is a thing that they did. Well done, Roman Empire. Something I've just thought of as well is that another one of the restrictions that you can think of is, is there a prerequisite technology that will slow down the development of this technology by a certain nation? Mm. For instance, something a lot of people seem to forget is that roads are not built for cars. It's the other way around. Cars are built for roads. And cars specifically exist as a motorized replacement for the horse and carriage. Yeah. So... If you, if your society doesn't employ or didn't ever employ horses to draw passengers in carriages or carts, the idea of the automobile may not immediately come to you yeah. because you presumably don't have the infrastructure necessary just because you never needed it before. 
So it would take you a much longer time to come up with that technology than somebody who is basically looking for a more technologically advanced replacement for a technology they already have. Yeah, like a telephone line, you know, I think, I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers dial-up, but we needed telephones before we needed the internet. So you would have to plug into the telephone line if you wanted to use the internet. You don't have to do that anymore because of broadband, but, you know... Oh, I, I remember dial-up. Oh, yeah. It was fucking terrible. It was awful. And it was really, really loud as well. Yeah. That's probably Dark the thing times. people remember most about it. Yeah. I hated that noise. But, yeah, and I think that that's, that's one of the things where it's it's not helpful to look at technology as a strict progression of less advanced to more advanced. When you look at, like, branches of technologies that have obviously come about because of each other. Because mm. this is the thing. A very basic technology will be developed to address a need, and then further subsequent developments will be created to expand upon that technology. And if the yeah. basic advance never happened, then the other advances, even if they would be advantageous in some other way, aren't necessarily immediately evident. So um, I heard a story from my friend yesterday when I was talking about the subject, um, who says that he has heard a theory that ceramics have actually held back uh, technological advance in China, I think, because when they developed glass, they didn't immediately see... A... I don't know if this is true, by the way, but it does make a pretty good um, example. They didn't immediately see a use for glass because they were like, well, we, we have ceramics and they're really nice. We have porcelain. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it, it's really good for... I don't even know if, if, if it is true that if they thought that, but because of that, they didn't really do anything with glass, and so because there wasn't a particularly strong use of glass, they didn't invent lenses, which wow. are used in... You know, there's quite a lot of, like, even Renaissance-era technology that depends on lenses. Wow. And that's, hey, another, hey. that's another thing. There's, there's a whole lot of, of technolo technological advance that is supposed to have happened in the Renaissance. The Renaissance, like, that literally means looking to the past... So, if you want a reinforcement on the whole, a lot of technology was invented long before you think it was, idea. Like, oh, mainly it was art that that was about, but still. Well, yeah. Still. That's, you know. that's the thing. That is, that is completely a thing. I mean, like, even with art, if you look at stuff from, like, you know, the ancient Greek period and uh, paintings and statues in that time, very anatomically correct, and they knew a lot about the human body, you move to the medieval period. If you've ever seen... Um, I forget what the tumbler is that has um, pictures of, like, the animals and the bestiaries. Now, completely ignoring, you know, biology at that time and what we knew of animals. The renderings of those animals are not very good. And even if you look at pictures of humans, they're very weird. They're very flat and kind of um, strange looking. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you get to the Renaissance and people look back to the ancient Greeks and they start making much more anatomically correct um, uh, pictures and paintings and statues because we also look back to the ancient greeks and their medicine and we started doing autopsies and stuff like that again even though the church didn't like it absolutely yeah and that's the thing like uh in terms of also in terms also of going the other way because we haven't talked a huge amount about this of yeah. including a technology that you don't think would be there the whole Dark Ages Renaissance cycle is an incredibly important and also incredibly, like, sequence-breaking yeah. um, aspect of medieval history. Yeah. So you can have certain technologies appearing ostensibly earlier than they should have done if you say, this didn't happen. And in most yeah. settings, it didn't. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't really think of, like, a D&D &D setting or any other kind of, like, fantasy setting. Well, there are some books that have fantasy settings that kind of haven't worked. I can't really think of a huge number of... RPG settings that in canon have had a Dark Age. Yeah. Or, generally, you're actually in the Dark Age most of the time. Well, yeah, but like, there's not a huge amount of, of actual suppression. No, yeah, yeah, It's more true. that there are specific communities that are interested in advancing technology, and yeah. everyone else is too busy doing something else. Mm. I mean, I mean, one thing that's always going to hold back technology as well is the education of the general populace. Again, in the Dark Ages, people weren't allowed to learn how to read. So how could you read books and learn things from other countries if you couldn't read? It's true. If you can't read, then it means that you have to be, you have to find somebody who's willing to teach you things, even yeah. if it's not reading. Yeah. And if those things are frowned upon, then that's less and less likely. 
Yeah. One of the and advantages that... that we have in the modern era is like the very, very wide range of literacy comparatively, at, at least in Europe, yeah. where oh, yeah. people can be self-taught. And then you have like um, people like um, well Alexandre Dumas, um, who is possibly not the most uh, the, the best. Uh, example of this, but is one I've seen recently of somebody who is self-taught from books and such because they didn't have the other uh, educational context, yeah. which just wouldn't have been possible in the Dark Ages. No, wouldn't have. Well, for some people it was, but for not not for the majority of people, you know. Well, that's the thing, though. You, you look at that and you think, well, the people who did know how to read probably would just have had access to a lot of information that the people who didn't would have done, even before you get to what they could read. Yeah. Like because it's it's a hierarchical thing, isn't it? At least a, a little bit. It's speaking of the church, did you know that rabbits were domesticated because the church thought that they were a uh, um, fish? I have heard that. Um, I mean, not I can't fish remember exactly. if I no. It was to do with like what you can eat on the Sabbath, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Or not uh, not on the Sabbath on specific days. Mm. I just, that's a very weird reason for an, an type of I animal. Think it's to do with like the way that the things you specifically aren't allowed to eat are described, yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and then yeah, and then they went right. So rabbits are okay then. So I guess. Yeah. I don't know how relevant that is, although well, yeah, no, but it does no, prove that like the church can like come up with re- weird rules that a lot of people are just going to follow. Um, and yeah. you could maybe like use that for deciding what technologies do and don't exist yeah. in your world. Like, yeah, like I mean, I, I think domestication is a ta- form of technology because it helps you with certain things and understanding maybe why. Mm, true. Yeah, and you know the domestication of animals as well, like horses, is a big one. If we hadn't domesticated the horse, we wouldn't have a lot of things, you know. And even the domestication of dogs, we wouldn't have guide dogs. Hunting wouldn't really be a thing. Um, and you know dogs that can do this job and that job I think in a way animals are a form of technology or a tool at least if you um, look at it that way some, I think maybe some of their relationships with human beings are a form of technology I wouldn't yeah, yeah. really oh, go yeah. so far as to say the animals themselves are but I get your point yeah. that's yeah, that, that, that's definitely a thing um, I suppose something I've just thought of you, you could use the, uh, the restrictions of the church to explain why a particular technology is not present whereas another one maybe is and yeah. one might consider the latter to be a well have the former as a prerequisite maybe that technology did exist but now doesn't because it has been banned or it has fallen out of favor bonfire kind of, of the vanites because a lot of the time it's <laughs> not really a concern whether or not a society knows about this technology as to whether your players can access it and denying your players access to a technology that is not particularly common in a society is pretty easy. It's just like how you deny them access to any other item. Yeah. But then, of course, you do always have to worry. That's going to crank up their ability to get hold of it just because they can make it themselves, generally. Yeah. Um, one of the other ways you can deal with that is to just say, you know how that works, but your character doesn't. You don't have sufficient yeah. intelligence yeah. or sufficient wisdom. Of course, the third way, which is... A really an interesting way of dealing with this. You don't have to do this. Is go yeah, go ahead, make it, and just see what world building and character stuff. Yeah, you could that. also just let yeah. them invent it. You don't have yeah. to like restrict that. I mean, obviously, if it's something that you think is just going to completely wreck the world, then maybe like yeah. clamp down on it. But... Yeah, like if if your character wants to make a nuclear weapon, like whoa, hold on, no, that would bring the bring about the end times. And also, possibly, you probably don't have like the grounding in physics to conceive of a nuclear weapon. That's probably beyond most Dungeons & Dragons characters. But you could give them the experience of being the person who invents the thing and then has to try and, like, travel from, like, country to country trying to convince people of its use. Yeah. See how they like it. Possibly the last thing to talk about is that sometimes... And I don't like this trope a huge amount, and it also does kind of tie into the whole magic versus technology thing that we'll talk about in a later podcast, but there are sometimes portrayed in games like D&D civilizations that simply do not value technology that much. Yeah. Um, or don't value technology past a certain point, because it's difficult not to value it at all. I suppose real-life analogs, um, you're kind of stuck with the Amish. Yeah. Which is not really quite the same thing, because like no. the Amish deliberately restrict themselves from a particular level of technology whereas yeah. like in D&D it's generally more of a like this isn't incredibly important to us kind of thing 
Yeah. Like generally, Which, the society yeah. in question will not be opposed to the technology. They're just not interested in it. Yeah. No, like in in my fantasy setting, my world about the book I'm writing, um, you know, magic has meant that well, a lot of medical science hasn't really happened because you can just go, yeah, right, cured, syphilis cured, uh, the common cold cured. Headache cured, gone. Bye, see ya. That's another so, excellent point. How does we're really, really getting into like the the like melding point with technology and magic versus yeah. technology here? But how does the existence of magic preclude what technologies are invented and aren't yeah. invented? Preclude was the wrong word there. I do apologise, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like that is going to affect because if there are niches that are filled yeah. by magic i think in dawn somber this is probably going to be a huge problem because of course magic is very very available to the masses there yeah that doesn't mean that everybody utilizes it but magic is like open source programming and that there's nothing explicitly stopping you from just picking up a pen and having a go yeah um it might not end well for you but like you can you can (laughs) have a crack at it you can have a crack Um, yeah so there's a huge huge number of, of needs that can be addressed simply by writing very simple spells and even in like low magic settings there's probably still going to be a lot of like rarer like more serious needs that can be addressed by somebody offering magical services i mean healing in particular yeah and i think in a fantasy setting as well you have like we were talking about animals and the domestication of animals right you have animals in fantasy settings that can do things the animals in ours can't. You can have something that you can ride on the back of that can fly. There is no animal you can really do that with. So why have planes if you can have griffins, right? Well, because planes can carry a lot more people at one time. But that That's does mean true, that, but like, you look way more awesome on the back of a griffin. The original aeroplane was uh, one passenger, so maybe they don't yeah. conceive of it if they yeah. have griffins. Yeah. It's, I mean, I know... Well, obviously, um, in that case, you would wait until it got to the point where the aeroplane would be invented for the same reason the car was. Yeah. Because it's faster, and it's stronger, yeah. and it can go for longer. You know, that kind of thing. Rather than, yeah. we need to get into the sky at all. Yeah. And admittedly, there were hot air balloons before that, but... You know, well, yes. But, look, hot air balloons are shit. Let's be real right now. <laughs> Planes way better. All hot air balloons are shit. Including oh, Zeppelins, which are cool, but shit. Yes, cool, but shit. <laughs> and ever-present in parallel universes, evidently. I know, yeah, what is with that? Yeah, cons- anyway. consider doing that, by the way. Does any time you run a parallel universe in your like in your campaign, it does not matter what the setting of your campaign is, you go to the parallel universe and it has Zeppelins. That's how you, yeah. how you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how you if it's a fantasy campaign universe. and having Zeppelins would mess it up, then have the Zeppelins, but have the characters never ever mention that there are Zeppelins. They just are Zeppelins. <laughs> just are Zeppelins, yeah. <laughs> Nobody ever interacts with them, they're just in the sky. Yeah. Just a normal thing. <laughs> uh, one day we're going to create a D&D world out of all the weird non sequiturs we do. Just a house-passive parts D&D world where nothing makes any sense whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. We ride on griffins, but then the plane was invented. But anyway, here's our great god, the Zeppelin. Also, Um, like, the land would probably literally have to be alive to tie into that joke I made last last episode. Yes. But being constructed mostly of soil. Yeah. I think that's... I think think we've pretty heavily covered... um, the problems that this particular issue can cause and how you as a DM can address them and uh, most of the player concerns we've talked about have been mainly from a DM's perspective but of course that doesn't mean that you as a player can't decide to, uh, well there's a thing if you are a particularly intelligent player character, uh, try inventing something because I'm sure your DM will entirely appreciate you doing that Mm -hmm. Absolutely, 100% in every game you're going to always attempt to build the Iron Man suit that is what you should take if your weapons. DM will not allow the Iron Man suit, then take a step down. Whatever the shit that was that Timothy Dalton was wearing on his hand in that one Doctor Who episode. Because that's like not the whole suit, but it's still like a glove and it does things. So try and make that. Yeah, try and make that. Oh, if you can't do that, become Batman. 
Uh, yeah, becoming Batman, also an option. Just keep going down the ladder until you find something that your DM thinks it's possible you that you could invent. And then yeah. invent that. Just annoy your DM on behalf of the staff of House of Bards, because I yeah. think that they would really appreciate that. I and think then so. you can tell them when they get annoyed at you that we told you to do it, and then they will come and listen to our podcast, and that will make us happy. Yeah. That is entirely our master plan to take over the fertile minds of bored people who aren't averse to listening to other people's opinions about D&D. Absolutely. That's just, that's what the entire podcast is about. It is, yeah. I think that's it. That's, I think that's, that's the it, end, yeah. of, end of my notes, and I think we've, we've covered this pretty extensively. Yeah, that's, this uh, is the end of the podcast. We do appreciate getting feedback about the podcast. Uh, I know you got some feedback for the last episode, didn't you? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yes requesting more information about Silas so we definitely should get Matt on the podcast evidently mm-hmm. that's the thing that's that's going to have to happen at some point um you know we we really do love it if if when people tell us what they liked what they didn't you know mm-hmm. um what helped uh, and also of course uh, I have quite a backlog of topics for the podcast but if there's anything you want to hear about then let one of us know uh I am Cleaver Crumish that's C L E V E R C-R-U-M-B-I-S-H on Twitter and Tumblr so you can contact me there uh, Becca, uh, Becca, uh, Beth rather. Wow um, I I'm am sorry. Baroness Bamf that's a Baroness and then B-A-M-F as in you know badass yeah, motherfucker okay. um, and, um, and um, uh, I'm also that on Twitter as well but uh, don't tweet me I never go on Twitter just tumble me yeah it's probably okay if you want to just tweet something to us in general to copy both of us in on a tweet, but otherwise mm. go and contact Beth on Tumblr because it's more likely that she'll see it. Um, yeah. If Although there's anything if... you want to ask specifically about the podcast, it might be better to contact me because I do the recording and most of the editing, and it was my idea. I mainly bought Breath on Broad because then she can provide a player's perspective, which I think is really valuable. Although, if you want to use the has- hashtag House of Bards on Twitter that I... Oh, yeah, I should start it... tracking that. Yeah, yeah that I'm steadily but definitely going to start doing, you should definitely um, check that out. And if, of course, if you make any content for us... Um, oh, yeah, like... we, we totally want to see that if you make any, any content for us. This seems like a big ask on our second episode. But, yeah, um... just, you know, if you, if you happen to, you know, if you're like, wow, Beth says absolutely yes a lot, and you want to, like, remix it into uh, the hottest tune of the summer, just... Tag it as House of Bards, and we'll see it. Uh, that is a thing, yeah. That's, you know. Sure, but, you know, just in general, like, any feedback about the podcast, uh, one of those five places, then? Yeah, House of Bards, Baroness Bamf, Cleaver Crumbish. I, I really, really love my moniker, because otherwise I would definitely change it. It causes a huge amount of confusion. Yes. But, I, uh, uh, I, it will be in the I, video description as well, by the way, if you're listening on YouTube. Um, yeah. I'll put, put these things up, so that should be fine. I love Baroness Band. Oh, something else. If you want right. to submit art for the uh, album art, because uh, obviously we're recording the second episode now, so presumably Beth doesn't know this, but I am actually planning on changing the art every episode just so that there's something to to look at i have like maybe a couple of things lined up but it would be really good um if you have some art that you want to like see as the background on the podcast and you are willing to give us rights to use it that would be really cool of you yeah pro tip i'm really pro tip i'm really partial to bad photoshop like um like really really bad photoshop so if you want to get a picture of me with like a rainbow coming out of vomiting out my mouth and like landing on Alex's face, that would be great. Uh, if you can't Episode get three. a reference for what Beth looks like, you can also use a badger. Uh, yep. That will be an in joke that you personally won't get, but we will find it funny. We'll so find that's, it that's hilarious. Really uh, <laughs> I believe that you could also use a small bear for me, uh, but that yes. that meme doesn't come up as as often. So uh, just better a badger for Beth. I think that there are pictures of me available in places. Yeah. I believe. That, there was that time you made yourself. Um, an elk. That was a good one. That was a pretty private joke. Yeah, I but it was a good one. Yeah. I like that one. Anyway. I think we've gone really, really far off topic here and we should we be... We have gone podcast. really far off topic. So, if, you make, if you make us shit, send it to us so we can see it. Yeah, and if you just want to tell us shit about the podcast, you know, you guys are great. This really helped me getting into D&D. Uh, Alex's mic quality is really, really bad. 
what the hell are you guys even talking about? You're playing D&D wrong. All of those things. Um, I mean, I would accept all of those things. Possibly don't send those things to Beth if you're going to be mean about it. So was that was that the uh, that the podcast then, Beth? That Since was, you let us in. That was the podcast. That was the podcast. Uh, that was the podcast. This is the week. I'm uh, Bethany. I... And this was Alex. Indeed. There's the. All oh, right. Yes. Here we go. I can actually actually say this on the podcast this time rather than like having to say it into a mic later and it sounding really weird. Um, House of Bards theme music is by Kevin McLeod. The background art on the video version is... Uh, I'll put the credit for that in the description, because currently, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Uh, episodes of the podcast are available in many places, but for guaranteed updates, it's best to subscribe to House of Bards, that's all one word, on YouTube. I think that's us. That's us. All right. Uh, talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. So, for example, like in the Games of Thrones universe, Valerian steel's actually really rare. Only certain families have these swords that can kill the White Walkers. Spoilers. Um, oh, so, wow. You know, wow, Beth. Now I have to well, put if you, if a you, spoiler if warning the, on the podcast. If you've, if you've read the books, you know, all right? And if you've watched the most recent season of Game of Thrones, you know, it's fine. Get with the program, people. Uh, okay. Saying that, if you haven't watched the most recent season of Game of Thrones, I don't blame you. It was shit.